Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. But in this whole series here now, we're talking uh, out of the passage of Scripture that's really commonly quoted out of Psalm chapter 23. I'm going to read it for us again, and then we're going to get into week two. Does that sound good? If you were in the room, I'd be asking for some noise. Let's see it in the chat. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Psalm chapter 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I ask right now that you'd speak to us through your word. I pray today it would be as though there's like a a Holy Spirit highlighter on this passage of scripture that would stand out to us and be illuminated to us in such a way that we'd see it applying to different areas in our life. We ask this in your name, and I pray for every person, whether they're sitting alone right now or they're at a watch party together with some people, I ask that you would cause the places where we are to be like a quiet, undistractable place where we're hearing from your word. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at just those first couple of verses and how God is longing to be a refresher of our soul, to bring our soul to a place of refreshment. I don't know what you feel you need right now. Probably some of us feel like it would be nice to have a little more time. Maybe you're looking for a little more opportunity. Maybe you're you're looking for a little more or a lot more money. Maybe you're looking for different connections. But I think what we all truly need is uh, to have our soul refreshed. And it's actually the thing that God promises. It's so often that the thing we need is already the thing that God fully intends to work on our behalf. In fact, we finished last week looking at 3 John, uh, where this promise is made. Check this out. 3 John chapter 2. Dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It's the intention in the heart of God, really, truly, to work and address the issues of our soul, get our soul on the right path so that we're going towards the right things. I mean, this is the intention of the heart of God. It's why, as a church, our our vision statement, our vision focus this year in Vivid's fifth year, or I guess it's fifth birthday, so sixth year, you know what I'm saying, is, is simply to be present here now. God is here now, and we need to be here now. I don't want to live in the first five years of our church's history. I don't want to live in the distant past of my own life. And I certainly don't want to live in the who knows what will happen future. I want to be here now. I want to be present now. It's why I'm encouraging people. Let's be ridiculously consistent and present in the house of God. Now, whether for you that means you live anywhere in the vicinity of Vancouver and you could get out to an in-person gathering Maybe it means that that you just make a commitment. I actually am engaged 
in church at home. It's actually why it's there. And we're reminding people every week in person as well. If you feel ill or, or unwell or like you need a little more space, we're going to keep doing this church at home. Maybe you're not in the Vancouver vicinity. And so this is how you're doing church. Be consistent. Maybe you're in Toronto and you're looking forward to regular in-person gatherings. In the meantime, be consistent. Let's be here now. Let's receive from God now because he is a good shepherd who wants to refresh our soul by leading us into good things. I love this picture of a a good shepherd. It resonates with me. In fact, it has resonated uh, throughout church history. It's one of the most commonly depicted artistic perspectives of Jesus. If you were to look through ancient cities in the walls of the catacombs, often as Christians gathered, they would leave art on the walls. They would tag the wall, if you will, with images of Jesus as a good shepherd. And it's no surprise that it would be an image that resonates with us as believers because it was an image that Jesus himself stated and Jesus himself perpetuated. Consider what it says in John chapter 10 when Jesus is trying to describe his very essence. He's describing his nature to his disciples or to anyone who would listen. Like, this is what I'm like. I want you to know not only what you can expect me to do, but who I really am, what I'm like. In John 10, he describes it this way. I'm going to read this passage. Someone's saying, Pastor Justin, I thought we were talking about Psalm 23. Oh, we're going to get there. But check this out. This good shepherd imagery. Jesus is talking Uh, John 10, down to verse 7. He says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gateway for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep would not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that it may be to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he's just a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What a beautiful picture Jesus would give. I'm I'm a good shepherd. You know, you can search through the Bible and what you probably are not going to find is a story about us being good sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd, but by very nature, we as humanity are are simple sheep. I I told you last week, uh, sheep have been described throughout the ages as pretty dull creatures, prone to wandering just for the sake of curiosity, not even with anything stimulating what's over that next band, just wandering for the sake of wandering. Does it sound a little bit like you or I? You know, Jesus, seeing that propensity in us, knowing that nature in us, knowing that lostness in us, was continually moved by the need for people to have good leadership in their life. In fact, it was Jesus before feeding the 5,000. It says he saw the crowd and he recognized they were like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion. Do you know that your need and my need for good leadership is the thing that moves God's heart to compassion? He's actually moved by your life. He's moved by my life. And not by how impressive we might be, 
And not by, by the, the stacks on stacks on stacks of good intentions that we might have. God is moved by how needy we are, by, by how lost we are without him. And in his own nature, his goodness, he reveals himself as a good shepherd who will lead us. So God's leadership, his presence right here and now, his, his uh, revealing himself to us as a good shepherd is about refreshing, yes. That's what we talked about last week. But it's also about righteousness. I want to show you uh, just a couple verses in this passage and make four observations. If you're following along at home, you could even write these down. These four simple observations in this passage. Uh, Psalm 23. After it says he refreshes our soul, which is where we left off. Look at what it says next. It says, you lead me, or he leads me, I should say, in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just out of these two verses, I want to make four observations. Number one, number one, is that righteousness isn't the result of good intentions. Righteousness is not the result of good intentions. No matter what you or I might think, when we look back at the best decisions we made, the, the fact that we did them right, it was not because we intended to do so. Good intentions in and of themselves will not lead to the right results that we need in our life. The Bible here says that the leadership of God in our life is leading us towards the right pathway and the purpose behind that is actually God's namesake. Isn't that interesting that the, the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep because he owns them. They're his. His desire for them is, is better than their own intentions for themselves because the shepherd has a perspective that the sheep lack. That's why it's not a, ever a story about a good group of sheep. It's a story about a good shepherd. You know, we can't possibly know where the greenest pastures are. We can't possibly know where the stillest water is. But we do have the ability to know where the shepherd is. Because Jesus has drawn near to us. I love that, that Jesus' first words in his first public declaration, his first little sermon, if you will, was the kingdom of God is near. Or, or, or the king of that kingdom is now approachable. You can reach out and touch me. You know, it's the heart of God that you and I would come to a place of right standing before him. That's what righteousness means. And in this particular passage, it describes that as a pathway. Getting on the right pathway. You and I don't get on the right pathway just because we flipped a coin and it landed on heads, not tails. You and I don't get on the right pathway just because we have somehow inside information that other people lack. We get on the right path because we have a great leader. His name is Jesus and he defines himself as a shepherd who leads us on the right path. You know, I, I hear this rhetoric a lot from people. Uh, it, it's this kind of fatalistic statement. Well, everything happens for a reason. Or people put it this way, it had to happen that way. I just believe that everything that happens had to happen that way. It's this mystically mysterious kind of pseudo-positive perspective. It happened because it had to happen. But what it shrouds 
is that I carry no responsibility for what happened. I interacted in no way with what happened. It just happened. You know, friend, I, I want to make the, the proposal today that life is not just happening to us. We're living. We have decisions to make. In fact, in our life, there is a multitude of decisions. And I believe this, that there is a right decision to be made. And there is one who is righteous. And his name is not Justin. And his name is not whatever your name is. And you could get in the chat right now and we'd see your handle, you know, Sneaker Lover 27. That's not the name of the good shepherd. The only one who's righteous is Jesus. And he has made himself available to lead us. Righteousness is not a result of good intentions. That's why on a Sunday, I never want to gather us all together, whether we're in a room or online like this, and, and just try to pump up the hype and get us intending to do the right things. Imagine that a pastor gets up. All right, everyone, we're going to try harder next time. Let's do better next time. Let's give it our best shot. That, that's that's pretty insufficient coaching, and it certainly wouldn't be good pastoral leadership. The truth is the the good intentions that we have fall short often. Like, like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I've had times talking to people that I care about, talking to my closest family, the people that I love, that, that I just want the very best for them. And then they say something that offends me or hurts my feelings. And in a moment, I can flip the switch and try to jab back. How crazy that my intentions were that fickle. How crazy that my intentions were that linked to my emotions or that linked to just the mood I was in. I'm so grateful that my righteousness is not dependent on my intentions. It's dependent on my ability to follow Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've kind of wandered off the path. I want you to know Jesus as a shepherd is seeking you out. In fact, he said this in the book of Luke. I believe it's in chapter 10. He says, I have come to seek and to save what is lost. Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading us in the right path. And the purpose is because it's who he is. Jesus isn't just leading the people who want to be led more. He's not just leading those who, who have already pretty much got themselves there and they just needed Jesus kind of for the, the last little, uh, you know, tie a ribbon on it, Jesus, help me just get this thing over the line. Jesus is leading us in the right path for his namesake because it's who he is. That's my first observation here. Second observation I make out of this little portion of Scripture is that fearlessness is not the result of playing it safe. Fearlessness isn't the result of playing it safe. Look what he says, that as God is leading us in the right path for his namesake, we find ourselves going through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest type of valley. Fearlessness is not a result of us just trying to play it safe and avoid hard things. Fearlessness, bravery, true boldness comes in recognizing and knowing the presence of God, the fact that he's here now. I can be brave in the midst of the worst situation because I know that I'm not alone. I love that in this, this text, he's talking about green pastures, they sound beautiful, Still waters, they sound peaceful. Souls being refreshed, oh, that sounds good. The right pathway, that sounds rewarding. But as soon as this turns a little dark, 
As soon as it turns a little negative, notice the shift in pronouns. David talking about his shepherd as the third person. And when it becomes the dark times of life, the darkest valleys, it shifts to you, second person. Check this out. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest shadows, I fear no evil for you are with me. I believe this, that it's in the darkest times, it's in the most fearful situations that God reveals himself the closest. Fearlessness is not a result of playing it safe. If it were, the passage would look like this. God's such a good shepherd. He hides me away so I never have to do life. I never have to suffer and I never have to struggle. You're not going to find that in scripture. In fact, it was Jesus who said, in this world, you will have trouble. But you can take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, I'm going to be there with you. Check this out. He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. God is present in the midst of our fear. You know, through brave experiences, whatever they might be, I don't know what pushes the boundaries of, of your particular comfort zone, but it's in those brave experiences that, that a person uh, has to choose whether to be Fearful or fearless? Like a group of people saying, let's jump off that cliff into that body of water. And you can go and make sure it's safe, but you still have to make a decision. Will I jump? The fearful say no. And the fearless actually do something that's fearful. Think about it. You can be fearless by just avoiding anything that's fearful, but that's actually just another way of articulating fear. It's the fearless that actually approach their fear and overcome their fear. And God is saying this, you can go through the most fearful situations and you can do so without fear because I'm here now. Wherever you are right now, do you know that God is present? In 1 Timothy, it says this, that he hasn't given us, in 2 Timothy, I should say, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, even if it's a valley that feels like it's shadowed by death and it's leading nowhere, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. It's in times like that that you recognize, I have power. I have love. I have a sound mind. Check this out. Charles Spurgeon said, the shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. And the shadow of death cannot destroy because of the work of our good shepherd even when you're walking through what seems like an impossible situation you won't be destroyed because he is with you or more personally you can say of God you are with me it's in the midst of danger that a shepherd's true nature is revealed close enough that the writer could say you let me show you one other psalm psalm 34. I love the promise in Psalm 34. Think of it in the context of walking through a, a shadowed valley that's leading seemingly nowhere good. It says this, I sought the Lord, this is Psalms 34, 4, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. 
Even though you're walking through the shadow, I I want you to know that your face never needs to be covered with shame. Look to Jesus and your face will radiate. Fearlessness doesn't come. It's not the result of playing it safe. It's the result of knowing how to follow the shepherd. My third observation I want to make, and I I think we could all kind of highlight today, is that danger isn't the result of being lost. More, More accurately, I should say, danger is not necessarily the result of being lost. In this short little poem, the the writer David describes following the good leadership of God and yet still finding himself in the darkest valley, still finding himself in the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever been in a place and you thought, well, this can't be right? Or you thought, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Our assumption when bad things happen is that we were, we were to blame or someone else was to blame. In fact, let me ask you this. When a bad thing happens in your life, what's your first assumption? In the chat, tell me right now. If your first assumption is that you're to blame, you did something wrong. Can you put that in the chat? All right, if your first assumption is that it's somebody else's fault, come on, let's be honest right now. You're, you're a finger pointer. Can you put that in the chat? Say, yeah, that one's me. And for some, maybe your first assumption is that God's to blame. Immediately, when anything bad goes down, you're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Let's be honest. If that's your first assumption, can we go there? But this particular revelation of who God is, it seems to describe that danger is not necessarily the result of being lost. It's actually often the result of being led. When we are led, we go through the ups and downs of life, the mountaintops and the valleys. And though we find ourselves in a valley It's not a valley leading to a dead end. It's just overshadowed by death. But the light of the world is with us. And when we look to his face, our face radiates. God is all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful always. We aren't any of those things. And so we tend to try to avoid things that confuse us. to, To avoid things that take us out of our comfort zone. To avoid things that seem too difficult or overpowering. And avoid things that require us to wait and see the results. That's how I would define dangerous things. But it's in that danger that we learn to follow God's leadership so closely. God's leadership isn't bringing you to a dead end. But he often leads us through death's shadow. So right now, if you've assumed, I think the way my life is turning out is my fault or someone else's fault or God's fault. Maybe it's time you just hold on a little bit longer. That you learn what God's voice sounds like in the midst of this for a little bit longer. Because this danger is not necessarily the result of lostness. It's more likely the results of God's leadership in your life. You know, Michelangelo said this, The greatest danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and then achieving our mark. I feel like there's way too many people who the the undergirding of their life story or the subtitle of their life would be doing my best to avoid difficulty, trying to live in comfort, trying to live that good, easy life. For a lot of us, if we were to define what's our best life, it would be easy, no danger, no difficulty. Do you know what that sounds like to me? No growth. No victory, no momentum, no moving forward. Danger is not the result of being lost. It's so often the result of being led. 
Self-righteousness is not the result of good intentions. And fearlessness is not the result of playing it safe. And danger is not necessarily the result of being lost. Number four, discipline isn't the result of being unloved. Discipline is not the result of God being angry with us, by the way. Discipline is an overflow of the love that God has for us. Look what it says here. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Then it says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, commentarians and linguists have have, uh, made their own assumptions on this. Is the rod and the staff two different implements? And and it might be. It might be that the rod was a, a shorter stick that a shepherd would use for the purpose of defending, uh, for the purpose of maybe warding off a predator who is coming towards the sheep, for the purpose perhaps of scaring off a wolf, as Jesus talked about in, in John 10, the, the wolves that come to try to steal from the flock, but the shepherd stands up and defends them. That It could have been a shorter stick that a shepherd used. And then the staff, some would assume, could have been and likely was a longer stick that was provided uh, for support, that like a walking stick, if you will. But with its length and with likely a crook at the end of it, it was utilized as a means of guiding sheep or kind of getting them back on track, getting them back in line, scooping them up when they're out of place. And then other commentarians assume that likely it's just one stick and it has multiple purposes, that it was likely the very same stick that was used for walking, used for disciplining, and used for defending. Whether it's, it's one implement or two, the reality is this, that David the writer, he says both the ability of God to defend me and the, the ability of God to discipline me bring me comfort. It's God's willingness to fight for me and also to help guide me, and even when it requires discipline, that leaves me feeling comfortable. John, I've often said of our, our kids, like people ask this question sometimes, to us as parents. They say, how do you handle a strong-willed child? How do you handle just one of those strong-willed kids? Or people say this, of all your kids, they just all seem so good. Like, don't you have any difficult ones? Well, the answer is all of them. Of course, every child has a strong will, but how do you How do you lead someone who's particularly strong-willed? I've always felt this, that my goal and intention in bringing discipline to the life of my kids is not to tame them, but it is to aim them. And in the very same manner, here the good shepherd with his shepherd's staff, his goal is not to beat the sheep into, into submission. It's not to prove to them their smallness. It's actually to aim them and keep them out of the way of danger. It's to aim them and to bring correction when they're out of line so that they continue to walk in a path that leads them to the best results. They continue to see their spirit prosper, their soul prosper, and as it does, their whole life come into health. Discipline is not the result of God being mad at you. It isn't the result of being unloved. The exact opposite. I'm telling you right now, I see people interacting with their children all the time. And I see kids doing things that, that I wouldn't want them to do all the time. But I never care to step in and bring leadership to someone else's children. Why? Well, I guess it would be inappropriate. But ultimately, I don't love them the way I love my own kids. So someone else can be disrespectful and reap the results of disrespect, but not my kids. I love my kids too much. I want to help teach them uh, to, to see themselves the way that they are seen. 
Other people can lack discipline, but not, not my kids. I love my kids too much. I know what a lack of discipline can lead to in life. In the very same manner, God brings discipline to our lives, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're coming to a close real soon. Hebrews chapter 12. I hope you're still following along with me at home and taking some notes. Check this out. Verse 5. I will start verse 4. It says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you the way a father addresses his child? Saying this, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when God rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Not true sons, not true daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of, uh, sorry, to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while. This is earthly fathers. They disciplined us uh, for a little while as they saw best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful, but later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. The desire of God, the love of God towards us in his love is to help lead us towards the best results. And the, the, the requirement of that is discipline. Like I said, I, my own desire for my own kids is to see them at the best results. And I'm a really imperfect father who has good days and bad days. But God, our perfect father in heaven, the good shepherd, is leading us to the greatest results. And if you're anything like me, it requires some discipline. To ask for less discipline would be to ask for less love. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says to fathers specifically, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Like they don't put such a heavy burden on them. Why? Because it leads to discouragement. But because God's a good father, David says this, when you discipline me with your rod and your staff, you're defending me, but also bringing strong leadership in my life. I actually don't feel discouraged. I feel comforted. Maybe if that's you and you felt that feeling before, you could sound off in the chat right now. You feel comforted by God's willingness to put discipline in your life. Why? So that we can lead to a result of a life of holiness. God being here now is certainly for our refreshing, but it's also for the right living. It's right living, right uh, walking out in his leadership that gives us fearlessness, it's right living that brings us comfort. It's right living in this face of danger that grows bravery in our hearts and certainly develops relational bondedness to God. And so today, instead of resisting hard things, instead of trying to play it safe and, and trying to just guesswork, make sure life goes as easy as possible, why don't we follow the good leadership of God and learn from Him in the midst of it? I want to ask you to, to ask one question. Because as you look around your life, you might not like everything you see, but you are here now. 
And not only are you here now, but God is here now. He's present. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. And then I'm going to lead us in a little prayer where we would ask God this question. As you look around your life, where you are right now, the pathway that you're on, the the shadows maybe that are cast across that pathway, the need for defense or or discipline in your life, ask yourself, how can God get glory in this situation? And then let's ask God the same thing. God, I pray right now for every person who's watching, every person who's part of Vivid Church online right now. I ask that you'd speak to our hearts. How can you get glory from the situation that we're in? How can you be magnified in the lives and the eyes of people around us by the way you lead us through hard things? Lord, I I repent that there have been times where I've avoided hardship as if it was uh, the, the, the thing that would show that I was unloved. Instead of embracing hardship and as discipline. I'm sorry that there's been times where I have acted in fear instead of the fearlessness of your presence. I thank you that it's your perfect love that casts out fear. And I pray right now as you speak to us that we would have a new boldness to take on whatever tomorrow holds. I'm not all powerful. I'm not all present. I'm not all knowing and I'm certainly not always. But you're all those things. And so I pray that you'd lead us as a good shepherd. And if you're watching right now and you don't know Jesus, you're not in a relationship with him, you feel like a sheep without a shepherd, I just want you to know the heart of God is moved by compassion for you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death in our place and to make an exchange with us that if anyone would ask the Lord for help, if anyone would repent and receive the grace of God, They can actually become the righteousness of God. In this moment, God can move you from the place you are and put you on a right path. It begins by praying a simple prayer. And I want to lead you in that prayer if that's you. It's just just like this. Jesus, I give you my life today. I repent of my sin and I receive your grace. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. I want to follow your leadership. If that's you today and you prayed a prayer like that, would you let us know? Send us an email at infoatvivid.church or fill out the form that's showing up in the chat right now just to let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer. We want to encourage you in the next steps you're going to take. This righteous path that God has you on is going to lead you towards unprecedentedly great results, like incredible blessings. It might mean walking through some hard valleys, but the destination is worth it. I'm going to close with Hebrews chapter 13 right now. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 13. If we were in church, I might say, let's all stand up right now as I read this because uh, I'm dismissing you right now. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd, of the sheep. I love that. The great shepherd. He's not just a good shepherd anymore. He conquered death. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. May God equip you with everything good for doing his will. And uh, may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you so much. I'll see you next week. Have an awesome week following the leadership of the good shepherd. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. 
For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.